Hi folks, Bob Main here with another episode of today's Survival Show, helping you harness the power of choice to live life the way you want to live it on your own terms and strengthen your resolve. I like to keep survival simple, not extreme. This is a common sense show. There's no paranoia in this show. There's no tinfoil hat type of thinking. None of that kind of stuff. I just like to keep this a common sense, what can we do today to prepare for some of the events that are likely to happen and thrive today so that we can survive tomorrow. So if you're tuning in for the first time to this show, welcome. I want to thank you, or even if you're kind of new to listening to this show, you will find it is practical based. And this is episode number 75. First of all, before I begin the main topic, I want to say to all of you who listen to this program, thank you for giving me the opportunity to produce 75 episodes. Uh, It's an honor, and the listener count continues to either maintain itself or grow just a little bit each week, and so for that, I thank you very much. I'm kicking off a series on threat assessment. I'm going to do several podcasts on threat assessment. Uh, If you recall, if any of you have ever read Andy James's book, Shoestring Survivalism, he talks about threat assessment, and he also has a concept called site threat awareness response. That was episode 39. I did a podcast on what site threat awareness response is. I'm going to talk about that today, and I'm going to talk about terrorism because it is a very real threat. That's probably no secret to anybody, but I'm going to dig a little deeper into that subject and talk about how that needs to be near the top of the list of events that we prepare for and why. And I'm going to give you some interesting things to think about in preparing for what might happen. Hopefully, terrorist attacks don't happen. But, you know, let's face it. It's the world that we live in. Now, having said all that, I'd like to begin with a little bit of humor. Um, I like to poke fun at what we do sometimes, those of us who are survivalists or who are survival-minded. Sometimes I think we take things a little bit too seriously. Uh, Really, I mean, gosh, if you look at some of the uh, internet boards out there and you look at some of the other uh, blogs out there and listen to some of the other podcasts, some of them get a little dark and dreary. And, you know, since I'm going to do a show here on terrorism and some of the threats that people don't like to think about, let's poke fun a little bit about what we do. If you remember, I did a... um, Early on, I did a podcast called You Might Be a Survivalist, If, and uh, kind of a little bit of a spin-off on uh, Jeff, Jeff Foxworthy. Did you know that if you cut your own hair with a K-Bar survival knife from your bug-out bag, you might be a survivalist? Did you know that if you use empty 45 ACP cartridges as a thimble, you might be a survivalist? And if you shout Wolverines before going to the shooting range, you might be a survivalist. If you use old ammo cans for food storage, you might be a survivalist. And if you use an old tackle box to hold your first aid kit, you might be a survivalist. That last one, thanks to uh, Ghost Rider from our forum. <laughs> he brought that up, and actually that's a very good idea. He brought that up in our podcast about first aid. Using a tackle box for a first aid kit. But it also, I guess it might make you a survivalist. Okay, a few things for you to think about before we dive into the main topic. Let me introduce briefly the main topic, and then i got a few announcements. But as I mentioned, I'm beginning a series on threat assessment. And I want to talk about what threats exist and how we might come up with our own response 
to those threats. In other words, being being prepared for them. And last week, I decided to start this series on site threat awareness. And uh, one of the reasons why I decided to start it is because a person, actually, there was a thread on our forum that talked about whether you're safe living near military bases. And uh, I think you are. And if you go back and read that forum on our on our read that thread on our forum. Sorry about that. It's an excellent thread on are you safe living near a military base? Now, keeping with my theme of common sense and no paranoia, I'm going to talk about what threats really exist with results to military bases and terrorism and stuff like that. At least my humble opinion, what really exists and what is probable. I'm not going to talk about the remotely possible scenarios. Right, I'm going to talk about what I think is actually possible and likely. And I happen to think that we're just as safe living near a military base as we are anywhere else in the world. And I'll mention a little bit more about that later. But there's some real good responses on that thread. I will put a link to that thread in the show notes. But I want to paraphrase the email of a listener because I thought it was a very good one. I thought this uh, person, this member from our forum, and I hope that this person listens to the show as well. Let me preface this and let me give you some paraphrasing. Um, this, This person says, I'll preface my thoughts on the Fort Hood shooting with this. Unless there's more information I have not heard, then he acted on his own and it was not an orchestrated act of terrorism. I believe we should parallel Fort Hood with Columbine, not the Twin Towers. An individual had some issues and acted out on them and because of his ethnic heritage, we tend to jump to accusing him of terrorism. Look at the guy who flew the airplane into the IRS building in Austin, or the guy who tried to shoot up the Pentagon. We didn't jump to just calling them jihadists right away. But as soon as someone with a Middle Eastern heritage does something, it must be Al-Qaeda. It must be jihad. Now, that's part of the response that this listener posted. First of all, I want to say thank you very much for putting that post on the forum. And uh, This member knows uh, who they are. That's an excellent point. You know, I agree we should not jump to conclusions based on a person's heritage or race. That is completely wrong. So I want to say this. It is my firm belief that terrorism is not a person. Terrorism is not a nationality. Terrorism is not an ethnic heritage. Terrorism is an act. Terrorism is an act that is committed, and you don't have to be of a certain ethnic background to be a terrorist. Anybody can be a terrorist. If you commit a terrorist act, sorry, but you are a terrorist. It does not matter what your nationality is. Let me give you the Wikipedia definition of terrorism. Terrorism is the systematic use of terror, especially as a means of coercion and terror comes from the Latin word, I'm going to try to pronounce this right, the Latin word terrore, which means to frighten. Okay, let me go a little bit deeper into their definition. We come to appreciate that terrorism includes one of the following that I'm going to mention. Political in aims or motives. And again, folks, I know that some of these uh, Al-Qaeda groups and some of these other terrorist groups, Hamas and so forth, they do have political aims and motives, but anybody can have political motives by committing an act of terror. It also says it's violent or equally important, threatens violence, designed to have far-reaching psychological repercussions. Repercussions going beyond the immediate victim or target. 
It also says that uh, the terrorism can be conducted by an organization with an identifiable chain of command and perpetrated by a non-state entity, usually not a country. But it also says that terrorism is an act, an act to frighten. You notice that it's got motives and it threatens or uses violence in an attempt to frighten. I think that's the most important thing that I want to point out in this podcast. And I think it's also important that we look at um, a little bit deeper. Here's my definition of terrorism, okay? As I mentioned, it's, it's an act. It's what you do. Anyone can commit a terrorist attack no matter what their descent. Joseph Stack, the guy who flew an airplane into the IRS building that this uh, member of our forum mentions on February 18th when, when Joe Stack did that. Joe Stack's a terrorist, folks. He committed a terrorist attack. He committed an act. Joseph Stack was not Middle Eastern. He wasn't from a certain country. He wasn't a member of a certain group. At least we don't think so. But he committed a terrorist act by flying his plane into that building. He used fear to get a point across. Timothy McVeigh was a terrorist. Okay? Nadal Hassan is a terrorist. Mr. Cho, you remember him? He's the guy that shot up the uh, campus of Virginia Tech in 2007. He was a terrorist. Okay? Terrorism is the act they committed, as I mentioned. It doesn't have to be an organized attack from a country or a group or a militia. I'm going to disagree with that part of the definition. However, I will say that there's a lot of evidence showing that uh, Nadal Hassan was communicating with Al-Qaeda. There's a lot of evidence that he was sending emails and trying to communicate with Al-Qaeda. Now, come on. I don't care where he's from. If he's trying to communicate with Al-Qaeda and then he starts shooting up people on a military base, I would say that classifies as a a terrorist attack. But anyone who does these kinds of acts, they're terrorists. Mass murderers, in my opinion, are terrorist folks. I'll say that again. Mass murderers, in my opinion, are terrorists. terrorists. And you might disagree, but mass murderers do it to intimidate. They do it to strike fear. Not only in their victims, but they do that to strike fear in a society. Okay, they're trying to make some kind of a statement. Even if they're sick and twisted, they're still trying to make a statement. They usually do pump fear into society as a result of their actions. And let me share with you a few investigative things that have surfaced about Major Nadal Hassan since the Fort Hood shooting. Did you know that Hassan had attracted the attention of U.S. intelligence months before that shooting by trying to communicate by electronic means with Al-Qaeda figures? That's been proven. In 2001, he regularly attended the Dar al-Hijra Mosque, I think I pronounced that right, in Falls Church, Virginia, where two of the 9-11 hijackers, Khalid al-Midar and Nawaf al-Hazmi, went for spiritual guidance. Now, it's not clear that Hassan ever met with them, uh, but the cleric did blog that Hassan was a hero, and he added he's a man of of conscience uh, who could not bear the contradiction of being a Muslim and fighting against his own people. Here's another fact you need to know. Uh, Dwayne Reasoner, an 18-year-old that Hassan was mentoring. Remember, this guy was a psychiatrist. Uh, Mr. Reasoner, who was 18 years old, Hassan was mentoring him in the ways of Islam at a local mosque in Texas. 
and Dwayne Reasoner said this uh, most recently that uh, that he had no pity for the dead because they were troops that were going to Afghanistan and Iraq to kill Muslims. He was talking about Hassan. Okay, reports from the Walter Reed Medical Center in Washington D.C., where Hassan worked for six years before transferring to, te- to Texas, suggested that the army ignored signs of an extremist in their midst. Now I'm going to talk a little bit more about that about the fact that the army ignored those signs. And it's been found that Hassan once gave a lecture about Islam to fellow doctors in which he said non-believers should be beheaded and have boiling oil poured down their throats. Anecdotal evidence of extremist views has come from former, former army colleagues who attended a course with Hassan in Maryland in 2007. Okay, so there's a lot of evidence, folks, that point to this guy's terroristic um, ties. Okay, let me just put it that way. Now, why am I talking about all this? Because it's something you need to prepare for, folks. It can happen anywhere at any time. And if you make a list of what threats that can happen in your area, you know, you've heard me talk about and you've heard other people talk about on shows and, and in internet forums and so forth. Make a list of the threats that can happen in your area. What is most likely to happen to you? Folks, I'd say anybody in the whole world can put terrorism on that list. Terrorism is not unique to a certain geography. It's not unique to a certain country. It's not unique to a certain class of people. It happens anywhere. This is definitely something you have to prepare for. And it happens suddenly. Obviously, the element of surprise is their biggest weapon. So you're not going to get any warning when there's a terrorist attack, folks. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a terrorist attack. So the fact that you're not going to get any warning is something you have to be prepared for constantly at all times. Let me go ahead and quote uh, Janet Napolitano. I'm not going to bring politics into this podcast. You know, regardless of what you think of the Homeland Security Secretary, this is what she said on February 24th. Uh, she said, violent Islamic terrorism was part and parcel of the Fort Hood killings. DePonatalo told the Senate Homeland Security Committee that there is violent Islamic terrorism, be it Al-Qaeda in Pakistan, Afghanistan, Yemen, or anywhere else, even in the United States, in the middle of Texas, that it is indeed a major focus of this department and its efforts. That's, she, she didn't say in the, in the middle of Texas. I added that. But she did say that it is, in, is indeed a major focus of this department and its efforts. And she actually officially became the first person on February 24th this year in the Obama administration to call his act terrorism. Okay, now... I've got a few audio clips that I want to play for you. Uh, some prominent people talking about this threat. But let me just take a little time out here before I play this first of three really good audio clips. Let me make a couple of announcements here about this show and about uh, where we're headed. Again, this is the I'm kicking off a series of what uh, we should be preparing for. And if any of you have any suggestions, by the way, folks, I'm, I'm always open to show suggestions. So if you have some things, if you know of some things that I missed, uh, or if there's something, a subject that I talk about that needs to be uh, expanded upon, by all means, folks, some of you have been sending me some really good emails. I will incorporate your ideas into the show. I'll weave them in somehow, some way. But I do want to make mention that our website is todaysurvival.com. Our, our forum address is todaysurvival.com slash forum. And if you like to talk about guns and stuff like that, uh, some of you may know, or maybe you don't know, so let me use this to uh, announce this. I do another show on guns only. 
called the Handgun World Show. The Handgun World Show. And that website is handgunworld.com. Talk about guns over there. I don't like to make this show, the survival show, all about guns. So for those of you who do like to talk about firearms, though, come join us over there at handgunworld.com. And, of course, the SAC Contest. A um, lot of donations have been put up. Uh, M. Barnaddle from our forum and Lord Tennyson from our forum have donated items. And also, I just got a um, an email that what's up from our forum is donating something and as soon as I get confirmation and everything I will go ahead and post that as well so there's gonna be a lot of prizes given out probably looks like a total of uh, six or seven given out the sack contest I'm also gonna expand the contest I'm gonna include a little bit about spreading the word so I'm gonna change that a little bit to where you can also earn points by spreading the word of survivalism and, and getting prepared I got some thoughts and I'm just kinda been doing a lot of work this week and doing a lot of traveling so I haven't had a chance to refine what I want to do on spreading the word part of that contest. But stay tuned for that because I will be announcing that shortly. Okay, enough on the announcements. I don't like this show to get overly commercial. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, stop the announcements there. And uh, I'm going to play an audio clip for you here in a minute. You're going to hear Lieutenant General William Boykin. Retired Lieutenant General William Boykin of the United States Army. Uh, he was the United States Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence. He's played a role in almost every recent major American military operation. He served in Grenada, Somalia, and Iraq. He is currently a professor at Hamden Sydney College in Virginia. He's the author of a book, Never Surrender, A Soldier's Journey to the Crossroads of Faith and Freedom. And from April 1998 to February 2000, he served as the Commanding General, United States Army Special Forces Command, Airborne, at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Now, he's got some pretty strong views, all right, but he also says some things that are pretty accurate. So on this subject of terrorism, he's got some pretty strong views. But I want you to listen to the ultimate message that he says because he's, in my humble opinion, he's right on about a lot of things. So go ahead and listen to this audio clip. I'll be back on with some comments as soon as it's over. Here you go. The questions that continues to surround the Fort Hood shooting rampage is why the Army didn't get rid of Major Nadal Hassan before it was too late. I put that question to retired Army three-star General Jerry Boykin, who told me the answer is simple. Nobody wanted to deal with the fact that this guy was a terrorist. Uh, his behavior and his rhetoric were both indications that he was subscribing to a, uh, a jihadist theology, uh, and nobody wanted to deal with that issue. He was a terrorist. That was a terrorist act. In fact, it was the worst since 9-11. Uh, and the mere fact that this guy was actually counseling and dealing with our soldiers who have been through the war in Iraq and Afghanistan is atrocious. It was a leadership failure. And it's the fact that the leadership did not want to deal with his Islamic theology, the fact that he was a Muslim, is why no one would deal with this guy. General Boykin speaks from personal experience. He spent 36 years in the military. He was one of the original members of the Army's elite Delta Force and commanded the unit during the Battle of Mogadishu, which is depicted in the movie Black Hawk Down. He's also a Christian who spoke openly in uniform about his faith and his Christian worldview. The secular media's coverage, though, of his speeches brought an end to his career, and the double standard isn't lost on Boykin.
loss. And I think everybody in America realizes that the uh, persecution of Christians is is acceptable in our society today by both the leadership and the media. Uh, but no one wants to offend a Muslim. And the fact of the matter is, this guy was a, uh, a an extremist. He was a uh, he was a terrorist, and uh, somebody needs to stand up and not only deal with these kinds of issues in our society as well as our military, but they need to deal with the fact that uh, we are uh, infiltrated from within by people who want to destroy the Constitution of our nation and replace it with Sharia law, and we can't appease these people. We must deal with the issue, and it starts with calling it what it is. Terrorism? terrorism. General Boykin doesn't pull any punches. He believes the Army better start dealing with the problem before another tragedy happens. Okay, he sure tells it like it is, doesn't he? Note that he says that it was a leadership failure. That's something I want to encourage you to prepare for also, a leadership failure. What makes you think during any disaster that there won't be leadership failures? I want to share with you five things about any disaster and leadership failure that I want to talk to you about. We saw a lot of this after Katrina happened, folks. Uh, I want you to take notes. If you have to pause this podcast right now and take some notes, go ahead. Uh, or if you want to come back to it and listen to it later or whatever. But remember these five major topics or major points about leadership failures after a disaster. Number one, systems will fail. Infrastructure, technology, communication, and the tools that seem reliable on routine checks may fall uh, may fail under the stress of an actual disaster. A problem that would normally seem insignificant and manageable can turn serious and turn into a crippling problem. Number two, the picture is distorted in a crisis. See, this is one of the problems. This is one of the things that leads to leadership failure. The picture gets distorted. Realize that everybody observing a crisis or, or living through it is going to have a different point of view about that. A paramedic will understand only that a hospital is overloaded. The hospital administrator will only notice maybe, for example, if the generator is not working. Okay. Keep in mind, no one's going to have a crystal clear and complete accurate picture of what's going on. That's what happens uh, after a disaster. Number three, time gets compressed when there's some kind of a disaster. The initial onset of a crisis will present a lot of pressure to act. And, uh, and leadership's going to be under the pressure to act and act quickly. And sometimes moving forward or tackling a problem becomes a problem before there's a solid grasp of what's actually happening. Understand that as the crisis goes from the beginning and starts to progress and into the urgent phase, the time pressure will ease as will the need for split-second decisions. And at that point, however, the plan must evolve into a much more complex system that looks like a recovery. But there's going to be a lot of pressure on leadership to make it look like there is a recovery. That's the problem. And when that pressure is is exerted, and it, that's when leadership starts to fail. But that time starts to get compressed. Number four, the authority is limited. 
All right, but here's the thing. The authority doesn't have to be limiting. It's limited, but it doesn't have to be limiting. Whoever is in charge and whoever is there, they need to understand that the organizational protocol needs to account for flexible leadership ranks. The problem is, is leadership is not always flexible. And especially during an emergency, people tend to panic. Leaders also, folks, tend to panic. And that's what I mean by when I say authority is is limited. An entire operation can, can must they have to they, they can get hamstrung because of bureaucracy, and they can get paralyzed because the bureaucracy did not account for a certain key player in that leadership chain is now unavailable because of that disaster or that emergency. Now, so now all the authority is limited because all of a sudden one piece of the chain is gone. That one person in authority in a certain position is no longer there. Oh my God, what do we do? And this is what leaders sometimes fall. This is the trap that they fall into. And number five, that I want you to understand, be ready for new leadership to emerge after any disaster. As an emergency tests the team leadership in place, new expertise is going to prop up. People will step up just as others might fail. But this often leads to chaos when new leadership starts to emerge. So let me recap those again uh, if you want because I kind of went through them fast. Number one, systems are going to fail. Number two, the picture gets kind of distorted. Everybody sees things through a different point of view. Number three, the whole time frame gets compressed because there's pressure on leadership to bring things back to normal. Number four, the authority is limited if there's a missing person in that chain of leadership chaos can ensue and number five be ready for new leadership to start to emerge but then that has a whole set of problems of its own but i think that general boykin is exactly right when he says uh, we have seen leadership fail especially in what he was referring to in the army with regards to major hassan all right let's get off of that point now i got another audio clip I want you to listen to. Okay? I want you to listen to a audio clip from The Third Jihad. The Third Jihad is a documentary that alerts Americans to the danger radical Islam poses to the United States and to all Western civilizations, pretty much as a whole. And I want you to listen to this audio clip. You're going to hear from people like Rudy Giuliani, Joe Lieberman, Chris Christie, who uh, in 2008, when this was recorded, was the uh, was a U United States attorney. Now he's the governor of New Jersey. You'll hear from uh, Robert Mueller, former FBI director. Uh, John Miller, assistant director of foreign affairs at the FBI. You're going to hear from uh, Sir Paul Stevenson, deputy Com police commissioner in London. And even though this was recorded back in 2008, a lot of it very much applies to what we're still dealing with. Because I don't believe, folks, that this terrorism threat is really ever going to go away. Okay, so here you go. Listen to this uh, audio clip from the third Jihad. As we move further and further away, from September 11, 2001, as we remain safe during that period, there are going to be increasing number of people who either don't see the threat as clearly or their, their, their psych psychological makeup is going to want them to wish it away. 
it is definitely here. I don't want to overstate the problem, uh, but there is a danger of understating the problem of homegrown Islamist terrorism. And the fact is we have now had a series of cases that have thankfully been broken. But yes, seven people have been arrested in the Miami area. Officials say the plotters were in the early stages of planning an attack on the Sears Tower in Chicago. They hoped for their attacks to be, quote, just as good or greater than 9-11. Police arrested six men and charged them with planning to attack the Fort Dix Army base. This is a new kind of terrorism. It is not only coming from outside the United States in, but it is also growing inside our own country. Time magazine says Al-Qaeda was planning a cyanide attack, which could have killed thousands. From what I last heard, the U.S. government has stopped over 31 attacks against the U.S. since 9-11. And these homegrown terrorists may prove to be as dangerous as groups like Al-Qaeda, if not more so. You've seen the Torrance, California case, where they were in the operational stages of completing planning to attack U.S. military recruiting stations and then conduct a massacre at a synagogue in West Los Angeles. They were 60 days uh, from their target date, and really all they had left to do was to start killing. Make no mistake about it. We dodged a bullet here, perhaps many bullets. Within a few months of that, you saw the plot to attack the PATH trains uh, that run under the streets of New York City. A terrorist plot in the early stages has been broken up. It was allegedly a plot to blow up one of the commuter railway tunnels running from New Jersey to New York under the Hudson River. The thinking within that conspiracy that they would actually be able to collapse the tunnels, flood part of lower Manhattan. Within the same time period, of course, you have in Great Britain uh, the 7-7 bombing, the 721 bombing, and the British planes plot, which was to blow up a dozen airliners um, over Atlantic routes with American passengers headed for the United States. The intelligence suggested that this was to be achieved by means of concealed explosive devices smuggled onto the aircraft in hand baggage. This was intended to be mass murder on an unimaginable scale. If all of these attacks were prevented, and you walk away saying that somehow the threat has passed, we're no longer in danger, um, I'd like to look at the analytical tool you're using. The threat is certainly there. Okay, the threat is certainly there. Did you notice some of the references to homegrown terrorism? As I mentioned, uh, terrorists can come right here from within our midst. They can be homegrown. You know, does the name Timothy McVeigh ring a bell? I mentioned that earlier in the podcast. This is terrorist kind of stuff, folks. And, you know, once we take our eye off the ball, just when you think it's not going to be a threat, that's when they strike. Okay, so what are you doing to prepare for terrorism? Some of the things I want you to think about. After a terrorist attack, it's quite likely that the food supply can be temporarily uh, disrupted for possibly as short as a few days, maybe several weeks, maybe even months. Water supply can definitely be interrupted. So this is another reason to store food and to store water and basic supplies. 
Okay, power can be knocked out. There's a lot of similarities between what could happen after a terrorist attack and what can happen after a weather disaster. Uh, rioting and looting. Rioting and looting can even cause more tragedy, more deaths than the terrorist attack itself. This is why I firmly believe that you need to be very well defended as well, just to fight off the, the people that are rioting and looting, and to fight off the have-nots from going after the people who have things. And if you don't think that's going to happen, folks, I, I read an internet posting somewhere where somebody said, oh, that's not going to happen. You know, People are not going to be coming after my stuff because they don't know I have it. Trust me, folks, they're going to find out that you have it. Because there's going to be more people who don't have something. There's going to be more people who are not prepared. As Cody Lundeen says, probably only about 7% of the people in America really are truly prepared for even basic emergencies. So you got the 93% of the people out there on the streets who haven't done anything. Trust me, they are going to find out who has stuff. They're going to have the power of numbers. There's going to be more of them than the people who have prepared. And what's going to happen is word's going to travel fast who has what. So, folks, I, in my opinion, if you think that you're always going to keep everything secret of what you're doing, I don't think that's going to be really realistic. I could get proven wrong. My opinion pops out sometimes every once in a while. This is one of those opinions. You might disagree with my opinion. That's fine. I love comments, folks. I love comments, positive, negative, neutral, whatever you want. But my opinion is you're not going to be able to keep it secret as to what you have indefinitely. So, you know, remember that. Keep yourself very well defended. And, of course, as we talked about, another thing that's likely to break down is leadership. And also, when I say leadership, how about the police force? Don't you think that they're going to be overworked and overstressed? The fire department, aren't they going to be overworked and overstressed? So the police aren't going to be there to protect you. The firemen may not be able to be there to put out minor fires. Have plenty of supplies on hand to deal with those kinds of issues as well. First aid, you're not going to have a whole lot of paramedics available to you either. So that's why I go back and listen to the podcast, the interview that I did with Ghost Rider from the forum, and make sure that you've at least got some good basic first aid uh, supplies on hand. I just finished making three first aid kits. And I pretty much followed the plan that Ghost Rider laid out in the uh, podcast, the interview that we recently did. I don't have my notes in front of me. I think it was episode number 69, but I can't be sure about that. So think about these things as you're preparing for a terrorist attack that could hit your area. And it doesn't necessarily have to be something as wide scale as what happened on September 11th. It could be something that just affects your neighborhood. Maybe just you know the small geographical area that you live in. If you're like me and you live in the suburbs, okay, it can affect just your one suburb, for example. And those of you who live in the country, you're going to have a lot of people that are going to be fleeing out of the cities as well. If a terrorist attack happens in a city, those of you in the country, all of a sudden, folks, you're going to get bombarded with a lot of people fleeing to your place out in the country. Trust me, you're going to, especially if you live in close proximity to a big city, you're going to have people exiting town, getting out, and they're coming to the country. They're coming out near where you live. Okay, and finally, I want to go back to uh, what I said earlier in this podcast about Homeland Security Secretary Janet Napolitano finally calling the Fort Hood shooting an act of terrorism. Now, she was on Bloomberg TV a few months ago, and she talked about how concerned that she is about terrorist sleeper cells. She also talks about cybersecurity, which is another form of terrorism that a lot of people who prepare don't really think about. They don't really think about cybersecurity, internet terrorism. And uh, she talks about information sharing. 
and how she thinks it's actually improved. <laughs> now, I disagree with that. But, but you be the judge. I don't think that information sharing in our government has really improved that much at all. If it had, then, uh, then why did the Army ignore uh, the information that was being fed to them? Or was it really being fed to them? That's a good question to think about. And uh, Janet Napolitano also talks about how, the American, how Americans have a role to play. How we have a role to play to keep us secure. She talks about how we as the people... This is one of the things I liked about this audio clip I'm going to play for you right now. I can't say that I agree with Janet Napolitano on everything. Because there's a lot of stuff I don't agree with her on. But she does, in this audio clip I'm going to play, talk about how we as a people have a role to play to keep us secure. And she even makes references to getting prepared in this audio clip. Which is why I wanted to play this for you. Okay, you're also going to hear her discuss things like privacy and data collection and immigration. Immigration is a threat to us, and it could be a terrorist a threat to us. Okay, the, the, still, the, the lax immigration policy that we have in this country makes it easy for terrorists to get access to us. And she also discusses how we, the people, should get prepared, as I mentioned. So... Without any more uh, building up of that, go ahead and listen to this audio clip, uh, Janet Napolitano being interviewed on Bloomberg TV. Well, thank you. Ma'am, update us about the Zazi case. How concerned are you about terrorist sleeper cells in this country? Well, uh, without talking specifically about Zazi, I think it... Uh, it is fair to say that there are individuals uh, in the United States who ascribe to al-Qaeda-type beliefs. And so uh, it makes information sharing, it makes effective law enforcement, and it makes um, uh, the shared responsibility of law enforcement ever so important. How critical is the information sharing? Because there have been criticism in the past that the left didn't know what the right was doing. And I don't mean that in political terms. I mean, right, right. you have federal, state, and local governments not all on the same page. Has that changed at all? Yeah, I think it's it's so much improved since uh, prior to, to 9-11. Uh, in this uh, case or in other cases, you have the Department of Homeland Security providing information, you have the FBI, uh, you have sharing with state and local, and in fact, that's one of the things that's gone uh, right uh, in this matter and in other matters. And would you, when you look at what's happened since 9-11 and the lack of other attacks here in the U.S., do you ascribe that to improved cooperation and other law enforcement and federal measures or do you think that there haven't been that many attempts? I mean, how, where's the balance there? You know, that's really hard to say because it's so difficult to measure a negative. Um, but uh, as we move forward, we know that the, the need to protect the United States, the homeland, as it were, from attack, uh, from whatever the source, international or domestic, uh, is always with us. It's a, an ever-changing threat environment. Uh, Americans need to be prepared uh, for that, and with that, it's a shared responsibility. Uh, and then to know that we can respond effectively and, and be very resilient uh, if something were to occur. Madam Secretary, you brought up a, a, an interesting point. Have Americans been lulled into a false sense of security because there has not been another attack? Um, I don't know about that, but what I would say is that every American has a role they can play. If they see a, a strange backpack left unattended uh, at, a, at a bus stop, uh, to, to report it. If they see someone uh, taking p uh, pictures of a key infrastructure, uh, report it so that law enforcement can, can follow up appropriately. Also, uh, some experts have talked about potential security threats related to the financial crisis, which is obviously uh, what we talk about frequently here. Sure. What threats do you see? What kind of risk is that? 
In fact, I just met with uh, a number of leaders in, in financial security uh, right here in New York City, and uh, it's it's about protecting our nation's infrastructure. It also has an international dimension. Uh, one of the particular applications, of course, is the cybersecurity uh, that surrounds our financial institutions and making sure that uh, e uh, that they are prepared and can prevent attack and can respond quickly should there be a cyber attack. But, Madam Secretary, that's a fine line because you want to prevent an attack, but at the same time you don't want to infringe on Americans rights and we should point out that there's a bill that was introduced back in May it would allow the president to shut down parts of the internet in an emergency that's a very fine line uh, these are uh, these are judgments that need to be made and they need to be informed by good intelligence good information that that's why that is really the the foundation of making these uh, very difficult decisions uh, and and you're right they can be a fine line privacy obviously is a key concern data uh, collection and privacy a key concern but on the other hand the financial institutions of this country are part of our bedrock infrastructure and they need to be protected and we need to be able to work with them to protect them well and there have been breakdowns already in that security, not necessarily from terrorists or other nations, but from folks who are looking to steal money and steal identities. So how urgent do you think this problem is and what exactly needs to be done to, to beef up that security? Well, the whole issue of identity, identity management is something I think that's of key concern. Uh, indeed, when I was Attorney General of Arizona, I think we formed one of the first cybersecurity units to, to prosecute those types of cases. Um, but uh, it, is, it, it is a key ongoing concern and will be one of our top priorities moving forward. Uh, talk to us about immigration. There are concerns. Uh, there was a, uh, a there's a law that allows federal authorities to deputize local authorities. If we're talking about uh, immigration reform or catching illegal immigrants, the New York Times came out with an op-ed today, and it, it was pretty critical of that law. Do you ascribe to that law? You're the former governor of Arizona. How did that work out? Yeah, I I, I wish I could agree with that editorial, but I just can't. Is uh, there a danger of profiling them? Uh, it has to be uh, 287G is the law yeah. that you're referring to, and uh, it, it was uh, uh, not being properly, uh, uh, I think, used uh, before. Uh, it didn't have enough limits. It didn't have uh, measurements. It was not accountable. Uh, we have redone those agreements with law enforcement. But, for example, most of the agreements we have are with uh, those who operate jails to do immigration yeah. checks of those already in jails. Uh, and, that, and that relieves our own federal agents, allows them to focus on violent criminal aliens, for example, who may be fugitives in our streets okay just a brief recap of some of the points that she made she talked about financial security and how the uh, security in the financial institutions is a top priority and she also talked a lot about identity theft I want to ask you a question listening to this podcast uh, do you have identity protection that in my opinion is an excellent prep it doesn't cost much you know, LifeLock, we've heard about them, and, and there's a lot of different ones out there. I, I tend to like LifeLock because they seem to have a pretty good history. They seem to have uh, been doing it for a while. Uh, you know, that's, that's cheap stuff, folks, and it doesn't cost much. But how much is it going to cost you if your identity is stolen? Again, take responsibility for yourself. You know, she talked about the bill that was introduced to allow the president to shut down the Internet. That made big news several months ago. That's a controversial thing. I'll tell you what, I wouldn't put it past this administration. And I'm not trying to be critical in politics, folks, because you know the, the Bush administration had their own privacy issues as well. We all know what that is. The Patriot Act is what it was called. Okay, How can we forget about that? 
But, you know, there have indeed been breakdowns in the security of our financial system. And you know what? There's a lot of people that are trying to deny that. But it's just simply false. If you're going to deny that, that's just ignorance. Because even stealing people's identities and, and, and hacking into banks, there's been terrorists. You know, there, there are financial terrorists, folks. Terrorism doesn't have to involve killing people. Terrorism can be financial as well. Stealing identity, um, breaking into accounts, people's bank accounts. This is why I believe in keeping cash. This is why I believe in keeping decent amounts of cash handy. Okay, cold hard cash, U.S. dollars if you're in another country, whatever your currency is. I know you might be saying, well, Bob, what, what, what about the, uh, the, the devaluing of the dollar? Yeah, I know. That, that's something we have to prepare for, and one of the things that we need to be doing is, is having alternative investments for that. But it doesn't hurt to have some cold, hard cash. I keep a certain amount of cold, hard cash, uh, and I'm not going to tell you exactly how I keep it or where I keep it. But I've got, some, I've got it in a pretty secure place, and I've got some pretty easy access to it because your bank account could get shut down, especially after a terrorist attack, especially if it hits your area. Okay, and there's hackers that are breaking into banks all the time. Don't forget about that identity protection, folks. Don't forget about the role that having cash. Also, you know, hey, let me tell you, folks. A- after any kind of a disaster, it's good to have cash anyway. Yeah. Cash spends a lot quicker and a lot easier than your debit card does. And if you have to pay somebody, what if you have to pay your neighbor to help you with something? Is your neighbor going to take your debit card? Okay, what if you strike up an alliance with somebody after a disaster and you strike up some kind of a deal where you're going to pay them to do something for you? They're probably not going to take a debit card. All right, what if electronic systems are shut down? What if merchants can't process electronically your debit card? But they can probably take cash. And they might not be able to make accurate change, but they'll take cash for goods and services. These are things that we have to remember, and and a terrorist attack is likely to force us into these situations. So I would say keeping some cash in addition to your food, your water, your first aid supplies, that would probably be a good prep or a good way, a a good survival um, skill to have. I guess cash is not really a skill, but I guess what I'm trying to say here, I'm starting to get tired, folks, <laughs> but I guess what I'm trying to say is having cash is a good preparation for a terrorist attack as well. Okay, so this is a good time to go ahead and bring this show to a close, but I hope I've given you some things to think about here in episode 75, and as I do this series on threat assessment, I wanted to lead off with this topic. Because it's something that's not going to go away, folks. Please don't be one of those types of people with your head in the sand thinking that we don't have this threat anymore. Don't go into that false sense of security that they talked about on this recent audio clip. you got to stay vigilant. Your situational awareness needs to be high. But even in addition to your situational awareness, you've got to be prepared on uh, this subject of terrorism. Now, I've got more threat assessments. Remember, Andy James' books, Shoestring Survivalism, Site Threat Awareness Response. That simply means know your site, know what threats threaten your site, be aware of them, and have an appropriate response to deal with them. So, folks, 
Thank you for listening to episode number 75. A milestone show, actually. 75 episodes. I I wouldn't have thought it when I started this last August. But because of you, the listener, and those of you who participate in the forum and such, and don't forget about our chat room too, folks, episode 75 is possible. So thanks again for listening. My name is Bob Main. And my goal is to help you harness the power of choice, to live life on your own terms, and to have a good response in case a terrorist attack hits your area. Our goal is to strengthen your resolve. We make survival simple. I hope you don't think this was paranoia thinking, folks. This is a, this is a lot of realistic threats. Okay, we keep survival simple, not extreme. And I keep this rooted in common sense. And as Teddy Roosevelt once said, do what you have, or do what you can with what you have wherever you are. And I am indeed tired, folks. So I'm going to go ahead and, uh, and conclude the show. Thanks for listening to episode number 75. Thank you. Catch you next time.